This is a download from News Talk 106 to 108. To download other programmes or for more information, go to newstalk.ie. Good morning. Well, after last night's attempt at coup in Turkey, we'll be going live to Istanbul to find out exactly what happened yesterday and who's in charge of the country today. Then, expert analysis on this extraordinarily located country, the bridge between East and West, Muslim but not Arab, in NATO but not the EU, secular and democratic but fragile. So what lies ahead for Turkey and why does it matter to us? In studio, Graeme Finlay is lecturer in UCD's Department of Politics and International Relations. Declan Power is a security analyst and Gavin Barrett also from UCD is professor with their Sutherland Law School. Now <clears throat> lines to Turkey have been difficult to secure even this morning as uh, just showing how in, in, in unstable the situation still is there but we are going to talk now to Quiva Butterly. She's the well-known human rights campaigner and filmmaker and she's in Istanbul attending a conference on human rights and migration. Um, good morning Quiva. thanks for taking our call. Is it clear to you who's in charge of the country this morning? morning to be oh and we have lost Quiva there we're not surprised we will try to get her back um, in just a minute um, Declan Power maybe you'd give us the update as you see it today well, it, it appears that um, Erdogan has survived this threat to his uh, regime and authority uh, it looked very touch and go for a period I mean the situation is to, to coin an old phrase still somewhat fluid but What's quite bizarre, uh, as you mentioned in your introduction, this isn't, you know, some tin pot country in the Middle East or Africa. This is a country that is physically on the edge of Europe, that is uh, one of our major partners now in handling the migrant crisis and in attempting to contain the uh, IS aggression that spills over from Syria and indeed to help find a solution within Syria uh, a waiting uh, or at least you know, somewhere in the waiting room for the European Union a member of NATO and uh, to hear of a coup uh, in a country like that it sounds bizarre. It sounds surreal. But so then, what's you know, behind it? Well, he hasn't been, you know, a, a entirely popular with a lot of people within Turkey and within uh, elements of the the regime, and particularly as we can see within elements of the military. But it's still not clear to me who exactly is behind this. You hear uh, phrases say uh, the, the restoration of democratic power and, and variations on that theme, and then there are also. Uh, there are also people who are inferring that the, the Islamic elements in the country uh, wanted to, uh, to push them to one side as well. I, my good instinct is that it's not uh, is Islamic related, as some people are making out. Uh, I think it's maybe uh, other other elements who didn't like the direction he was going, maybe felt he was perhaps being too authoritarian, which is ironic considering uh, the, to deal with that by means of a coup is, does not make sense. So, Graham Finley, who are the different factions in the Turkish country? There are many, many factions, but you have, uh, even in the military, there are different factions. So you have the secular, traditional military, which sees itself as the guardian of the constitution, of the, of the Kemalist inheritance, and they launched this coup in the name of freedom and human rights and, and restoring democracy and, and protecting the constitution. There are Islamist elements of the military, and, and Erdogan is blaming the, the cleric. He's been blaming for everything for the last 10 years uh, since they sort of had a falling out, um, uh, Gulen in, in the United States. And uh, they, he would have his sympathizers in the military in, in what they call the Turkish deep state, which are these powerful state institutions which are in many ways better entrenched in the economy and society than the democratic uh, institutions. So, And then there's Erdogan, who um, is, was a 
a sort of democratic Islamist and has increasingly become more authoritarian, um, who has built up his own uh, tremendous pile of wealth, especially through his uh, sons and nephews. Uh, and uh, and they're all fighting it out in the public domain through a series of alleged conspiracies, through um, alleged corruption, through various media outlets, some of which are being taken over by the state, like the Zama newspaper, which uh, was recently taken over by the state, which was a Gulenist newspaper. So there's at least, that's at least three factions. Uh, and that's before you throw in the Kurds and, uh, you know, anybody else and, and some of the far left elements who are not much in evidence. But, you know, it, it's a complex situation. Um, I did what I usually do in these situations. I printed out a map of Europe this morning and the position of Turkey is just extraordinary. Gavin Barrett, Russia to the north, Africa to the south, Europe to the to the west and, uh, and uh, the Levant, as we might call it, to the east and literally bridging the, the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. Um, uh, you, you know, will you tell us a little bit about the history of the country and and how it's come to this? Yes, well, um, I, I, the, I suppose the, the most recent history in relation to it um, takes us back to about the time that actually Ireland became independent because Turkey, modern Turkey, the Republic of Turkey was born about 1922 and it was dragged into the 20th century uh, by a larger than life character called Mustafa Kemal who was actually uh, renamed Kemal Ataturk by the Turkish parliament which means the father of all the Turks and he was a kind of a Peter the Great character, a very violent man uh, but, but who was instrumental um, in winning the Turkish War of Independence. They were, they were occupied by the Allies after um, World War I, um, won that, secularised it. It was a very um, backward, poor, um, um, Islamic uh, kind of country, secularised the country, gave women rights, um, introduced primary education, um, changed the alphabet into the, into the, the, the Roman alphabet, so really revolutionised um, the country. Uh, but his heritage is really one of um, secularism as, as, as well. He introduced that as well, very importantly, and westernised it, but also a very authoritarian kind of approach. Um, as opposed to this, um, it's a, a very big country, about 80 million, population of about 80 million people, um, uh, and a lot of those um, would, would vote in an Islamic way if you want. They'd be quite happy if, if Turkey wasn't as secular as it actually is. So you have this constant tension going on then um, uh, since 1922, um, uh, if you like, between secular authoritarianism, uh, and in relation to that, um, you have the Turkish army, which sees itself as the guarantor of Turkey's secular nature. So every time they see the government as becoming too um, uh, Islamic, they've launched a coup. They've actually launched four coups before this one. Um, uh, uh, so you and know, and is, where does Erdogan sit on the spectrum of a democracy and b Islam? Yes, well, uh, Erdogan actually comes from um, a, a fundamentalist, actually Islamic uh, background. Uh, he had a, a party called the Islamic Welfare uh, Party originally, which was banned, and he was actually jailed in respect of his political activities. He formed uh, his modern party, the AK um, uh, Party, then after that, uh, and they swept to success. They're a more moderate party, but he still has um, a, a kind of an Islamic background there, uh, and I, I think it would be seen uh, by, by by most people. He's viewed with a great deal of suspicion uh, by the kind of the Westernized elites, by the army. Um, uh, over there and uh, I think it's generally seen that uh, you know if he could give full vent to his preferences Turkey would be a far more Islamist um, uh, country uh, than, it, than it is now so there's there's a great deal of tension in that country Well I think Quiva Butterly is back on the line Quiva's a human rights campaigner and she's in Istanbul attending a human rights conference uh, Quiva can you hear me? Yes. Oh, hey, hi. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. We understand uh, the position So Quiva is it clear who's in charge of the country this morning? 
As I was about to say, I'm actually in Boadishi University, which is an extremely in an extremely comparative town. So I think our understanding of the situation is is probably as comprehensive or less so than yours in terms of access to internet. Um, the government is saying, you know, that that they're in control. The military or the, the the sort of the insurrectionists, I suppose, for lack of a better word, within the army are saying something different. Um, but I, I suppose just because I think your panelists are going to focus very comprehensively and with a lot of nuance in terms of the general context, but certainly the people with which whom I'm gathered at this conference, a lot of them human rights activists in Turkey, are deeply apprehensive about what comes next. Um, and if it's any evidence in terms of um, the past few years, the government will crack down not only on those who are perceived to have led this coup, but also on minority groups, on Kurds, on human rights activists, etc. So I think there's a lot of worry here in terms of the very comprehensive and sweeping powers that this will probably afford the government in terms of emergency laws extended um, and also you know the ramifications that will have on people who are genuinely trying to organize on a civil society level you know for democratic change in Turkey. Uh, what has Erdogan's record been on human rights in recent times? Atrocious um, particularly in the last few years um, the, the latest bombing campaign in Kurdish areas you know, was one example of that. But he has been a deeply polarizing figure. Um, he has perpetuated sort of a culture of Armenian genocide denial, um, been very inflammatory in his comments about ethnic and religious minorities, um, you know, and the crackdown that was seen on, you know, very genuine, I think, very hope-filled movements, such as the Gezi Park movement, um, you know, and things that came out of that were dealt with, you know, with, with a lot of severity. Um, you know, so I, I think the irony of this is that while those certainly on the left in Turkey, sort of a more pluralistic, inclusive left, um, you know, were as they were watching the events last night, um, there was a lot of apprehension, you know, as mentioned just by one of your panelists, I think, of, of being caught in this wedge between secular authoritarianism and neoliberal Islamism, um, and that sort of breathing space between these two polar, you know, opposites in some ways, but, but quite consistent in terms of repression of ethnic and religious minorities in Turkey and their rights, um, that this is something, you know, that will continue and intensify. So certainly, I think the, the, the atmosphere amongst those who have campaigned consistently and intergenerationally for more freedoms in Turkey um, is one of, of deep apprehension. Of, would, of would, you fa- would you favour Turkey's accession to the European Union um, as a moderating force within Turkey? It's a loaded question. Um, and at this stage, I mean, it's, I, I think it's, it's one that is, is very far if if not down the line um but i i think if at the last few years have been every uh, you know any evidence that the turkish government that the ak party is increasingly allying themselves with regional partners and sort of walking away from you know that that possibility um however you know i i think things like the eu turkey deal in terms of um you know which a move that 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 has really um, further endangered the lives of those seeking refuge and making, you know, these migratory journeys, if that's any evidence of it. Um, I think the interests, unfortunately, of the EU have preceded, you know, uh, or precluded um, a focus on, on human rights, you know, for those struggling for basic freedoms in Turkey. Okay, and then just finally, what have you been told about your own um, safety? Uh, have you been told it's okay for you to go out on the streets or have you been told to stay in that compound in the university where you're attending the conference? 
we're fine and we're not actually in a compound. We're just staying sort of at a student dorm. Um, so the professors that we're with, you know, a lot of them traveled um, by public transport today here to reach the, the sessions which are going ahead. So, I mean, again, I think from a distance, it's easier to see the situation as, as more uniformly intense than it is. It, it's quite uh, place-specific. Um, I have friends in Besiktas, you know, who are sort of updating folks about what's happening there and many other areas of the city and obviously in Ankara. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of personal safety, I feel completely fine and I think those that I'm with do too. Okay, that's great. Good to hear. Kweva Bushri, thanks a million for joining us this morning. Um, Declan Power, I've to, I've to take a break, but just before that, <coughs> you know, what's your own view on Erdogan's regime? You know, do you approve <coughs> of some things that he's doing? No, um, but at the same time, his regime is his regime. And, you know, if you try and undo it by the means, it, it sounds, as I was saying to you before, uh, contradictory that maybe yeah. some of the people looking to unseat him uh, felt he wasn't being democratic enough. But, you know, there was uh, you could see the responses around the world from the, the key players, you know, the US, uh, EU states. You can't, you know, nobody wants to endorse a coup. We saw what was a sort of a populist coup in a way in Egypt before, but it just, it sets in train a series of unintended consequences and events it you know uh, interferes with stability and it uh, from a, a military uh, and security point of view it increases the level of instability because it can give people uh, sort of legitimacy to uh, go against the state and you've pointed out where Turkey is located, not just physically but geopolitically, at this point in time, the West and the European Union does not need this kind of instability. We mightn't love Erdogan, but uh, it's better than some melange of guys who we don't know what exactly they're thinking. And I suppose you do have to take into account he is popular. He has been democratically elected. Yeah, uh, and you know, democracy is about having to suck it up and take the rough with the smooth, as we see with our neighbours across the water. We can't just start unknitting it when it doesn't suit us. Okay, Declan Power, thank you for that. When we come back, we'll be talking to Andrew Finkel, an American reporter based in Istanbul. Talking point on News Talk 106 to 108. Good morning, and welcome to Talking Point. We're talking about last night's attempted coup in Turkey, and we're going live now to Istanbul to Andrew Finkel. He's an American journalist. He's been reporting from Turkey for more than 20 years. Andrew, can you tell us um, what happened yesterday? Well, it started around 11 o'clock Turkish time. Um, we realized that we couldn't get across the Bosphorus bridges, the main, main arteries of the city. The reason was that there were military stationed on those bridges. They had closed the bridges. There were tanks. Uh, we wondered if it weren't a, a terrorist incident or something of that nature. In fact, it turned out to be, as we quickly discovered, a military coup. Um, now, the, the 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 officers who tried to implement this coup, you know, did the went by the book. They occupied the state television station. They um, you know, imposed a curfew, they, um, you know, uh, did all the things that coup makers are meant to do. However, what they didn't reckon with is the fact that the president would have access to social media. He um, made an appeal to the nation in the most extraordinary way, rather than that we're used to Erdogan um, sitting on a gold throne or the equivalent thereof and surrounded by pomp and addressing his people. This time he he did it on an iPhone. I mean, he, um, a presenter in, on, a, on a television station held up an iPhone where he, he was talking on, you know, um, um, FaceTime and, and basically appealed to his people to go out onto the streets to resist the coup, to occupy the squares and to occupy the airport. And 
um, this show of popular strength appears to really have taken the wind out of the uh, military sails. Um, and actually, that's a good point. The people did respond to Erdogan. I mean, we're hearing this morning a lot of concerns about his human rights record and his interest uh, in democracy. But he appears to be popular. Is that the, the genuine case? Well, there's two things here. One is, yes, he does have a really, you know, there is a, a bulk of the people who do support him and, and who do regard him as, as, uh, as their leader. The other thing, of course, is that even those who hate his guts, and there's an awful lot of them do, um, see, you know, do not want uh, a military coup in Turkey. Um, they fear the military perhaps more than they do um, uh, Mr. Erdogan. Um, so you have the opposition parties saying, well, this is all very well, but if Turkey's going to change, and it should change, it has to change through democratic means. So, um, you know, he, the coup makers really didn't think about civil society. They sort of thought that everyone would roll over and do what they said, as had been the case in previous coups in Turkey. There have been three previous coups, the last, but the last one was in 1980, and that was a long time ago. And Turkey's become a much more sophisticated place since then. So what do you think the immediate implications of yesterday's events will be? Well, Mr. Erdogan has a very specific agenda. He's basically trying to accumulate as much power in his own hands as possible. He doesn't want, he doesn't like the sort of parliamentary system. He wants a presidential executive system. Um, there's a certain amount of resistance to that idea, um, and he hasn't been able to implement it right away. But he, he's also been very clever and, and, and determined in basically getting rid of opposition. He's moved against the press. Um, he's, um, you know, he's got court-appointed administrators that seized entire opposition newspapers. Opposition television stations have been unplugged from, you know, the the the, the, the satellite broadcasting system. Um, he's, you know, he's he moved against the um, press. He's moved against the judiciary. It's the very brave judge who, you know, who will oppose a decision or make a, a ruling that that. It doesn't really go the government's way, um, and yet at the, at the the one bastion, the one organization, perhaps he hasn't got fully under its control, uh, was the military. And I think, you know, obviously male elements within the military were afraid that he was going to move against them, and they tried to preempt that move. But what they did instead was basically open the door for him to um, uh, take away their power. So, uh, so in other words, um, these events might strengthen his position rather than weaken it. Well, they'll strengthen his, his, his position in terms of, you know, the opposition will be much more um, intimidated about about um, uh, going up against him. On the other hand, this is, you know, this is quite a serious blow to Turkey's prestige, to its economy, uh, to its military prowess. I mean, how can Turkey be a military power in the region if it can't even keep control of its own army? How, you know, the, the Turkish lira is at a, is at a, is at a, is at a low um you know, it's going to be more expensive for Turkey to borrow. So, um, you know, Turkey was already having a bad tourism year because of various factors. Um, now, it's an even more disastrous uh, year of tourism, and possibly it'll take years for it to pull itself out. So, this has been a really, you know, this is a, a blow to Turkey, whereas it may actually help Mr. Erdogan in the short term. So, um, and, and, you know, that in a sense will probably weaken his position and standing. In the country, if he if he's presiding over a much a, a, a poorer and, and less powerful place, when are elections due, or what's the process for that? Well, there are parliamentary elections 
every four years, but the system seems to change every two years, so it's, it's hard to predict exactly quite what will happen. Um, um, many believe that Mr. Erdogan wants to move sharply towards his executive system, so there may be a snap election. Um, uh, the, um, the, you know, we're not due for an election for another few years, but um, and there's a presidential election every five years, but um, um, he may call a referendum, you, you've heard of that, um, and, and that referendum on his executive presidency. There's, there's, um, there's a lot of things that could happen this year, next year. And just, uh, and just finally on that, would that referendum increasing his powers and moving to this more presidential system, would that be likely to be passed, do you think? Well, it's probably more likely to be passed uh, today than it was before right. the attempt after Okay, Andrew Finkel, thanks a million for joining us this morning and um, sharing that with us. Um, Graham Finley, I mean, it's just extraordinary when you think about it. This is a country that's been in negotiations with the European Union for membership since 2005. But it's instead of continuing this march towards moral progress and liberal democracy is going backwards. Yes, I mean, I think the real prospect of um, of Turkey joining the EU is extremely slim, uh, and it was even before when Erdogan was modernizing and doing all the things the European Union wanted. Now, with the kind of backsliding on the rule of law, I mean, one of the things which I think was terrific about Andrew's point, but has to be backed up, is while he's been democratically elected, the rule of law has practically disappeared in, in, in Turkey. I mean, under the various ways through the courts, which Erdogan has purged his domestic enemies, including through conspiracy theory based on a, the Ergenekon movement, uh, you know, of his, his, it was a, it was a series of allegations that there was this secularist ultranationalist group within the army and the other state bodies, which was plotting a coup. Now, uh, it probably was sort of slightly true that they might have wanted to, but it was almost entirely fabricated. It involves these very shady characters who conveniently pop up to provide these documents. In any case, he used them as an excuse to, you know, arrest. Eventually, most people were released, but to arrest and, you know, a number of key military figures uh, to remove them from their posts and so forth. Similarly, recently in his crackdown on the Gulenist movement, you know, he's indicted and, 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 uh, imprisoned hundreds and hundreds of uh, journalists and intellectuals and academics and and and, and tell us more and, and on the basis of almost no evidence i mean some of the evidence files uh for for some of these convictions they were literally empty they were an empty file there was nothing in the file and yet it was enough to indict someone in a to convict someone in a turkish court so for all those reasons there's no way Turkey is going to meet the tests on the terms of the values and principles of the European Union um, any, at any time, and it's going in the other way. And, and this is, and that, plus the sort of the dodgy neighborhood and, and the problems with that actual shooting war currently in the southeast of the country, I mean, none of that bodes well for the European Union uh, for uh, Turkey anytime Ga- soon. Gavin Barrett, on the relations with the EU. Now, as far as I can figure out, their membership has been opposed principally by Germany and Jean-Claude Juncker. Or Juncker. I'm never quite... Juncker. Juncker. Yeah. Thank you. My wife corrected me. I said Juncker the last time I was on this program. So <laughs> I stopped correcting you. They're all out there waiting for us to mispronounce things. Um, but it has been supported by France, 
the UK, which obviously they've lost an ally there, and America. Now, why is Germany been opposing it and why is France and the UK and the US supporting it? Yeah, I, I suppose there are two problems as regards um, uh, Turkish membership of the European Union. Uh, one of them is the direction um, uh, in which Turkey is going, which Graham has been been, been setting out there, which is, uh, you know, very authoritarian, uh, against the rule of law, um, uh, you know, anti-human rights and all that. But the other one uh, is opposition um, uh, on the part of various member states. Membership of Turkey in the European Union is extremely unpopular uh, among the, the various uh, populations in Europe. The, the European Union already, you know, faces an awful lot of challenges. It has an awful lot of um, problems. We, we say the migration challenge, the, the, the problems that the Economic and Monetary Union has been having. So, and within particular countries, there's a lot of opposition to Turkish membership as well. Austria would stand out there as, as, as one of those in particular. And, and is that because there's just this concern, a very legitimate one, I think, that um, Europe is expanding too quickly and it just needs to stop? Or are there particular reasons why they don't want Turkey in? Well, uh, you know, um, uh, Europe has expanded. It expanded very, very radically in 2004, again in 2007, um, and, and just lately taking on Croatia as well. So I think there is this feeling that, that the enlargement has to stop at some stage. Um, so that would certainly be an element of it. Um, Turkey's membership of the European Union as well would really have a huge effect on the institutional balance within it and the balance of power within it, because um, you're basically your voting power within the European Union is strongly related to your population. The population of Turkey is 80 million. So in other words, it would have more voting power than Germany does. Now, at the moment, in the Parliament, do you mean? Um, not just in the Parliament, but also in the Council of Ministers as, as well, because your 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 voting power. Is I related. thought it was always one country, one vote. No, there's something called qualified majority voting, which is the is is the um, um the, the dominant voting method now. And basically, what qualified majority voting involves is extra weight being given to countries that have big populations. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, um, uh, and uh, very conveniently, um, the financial power, the most powerful um uh, uh, country in the European Union at the moment is Germany. It has the biggest population, but it's also the wealthiest uh, country. So it's the paymaster, if you like, of the European Union. So there's a nice coincidence there. Um, if Turkey came in, uh, the largest, um, um, uh, if you like, um, institutional power in the European Union would become Turkey. Uh, but Turkey is a far poorer country. Um, so in other words, Germany would be writing the checks, but Turkey would be uh, basically um, having so a huge influence. On why is France go. in favour of it then? Um, well, I'm not sure that France is actually. Okay. France actually only relatively recently um, removed a clause in its constitution requiring a referendum if uh, uh, Turkey acceded, and it's, it's commonly felt that that referendum would have had no chance of, of passing. So, um, right, but uh, if they removed it, would that not indicate that they didn't want to give the people? Well, a say? I think it indicated that uh, President Sarkozy realised that a referendum exactly that he, that, that it wouldn't yeah. get through. Um, uh, so, I mean, Turkey is a candidate country. Um, uh, so, I, I suppose at some stage it will probably become a member. It certainly won't um, while, while these. Um, you know, while this um, movement against the rule of law, against human rights, and while Erdogan, frankly, re- remains as president, that's that's not going to happen, I think. But uh, would but it be better for the stability of the world overall if Turkey did come into the European Union and so the, the democratic liberalising forces of the Union, you know, could cede and take hold and pull it back from this spring? Well, of course. I mean, membership of the European Union, and, and it has been held out there as a kind of a beacon of westernisation and secularisation uh, within Turkey. So I think it would be good for Turkey in the same way that it has been good for a lot of the Eastern European states. Um, I, I suppose the concern about it is what would it do to the, the, the European Union at the end of the day? And I know America, for instance, would love to have Turkey a member, but I, I, I do remember the German foreign minister um, years ago saying, you, you don't marry your wife because your friend thinks it's a good idea. Um, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose, um, Some people do. Um, Declan, um, with regard to what I call it, the war on terror, the war against ISIS. 
So all so these it's clear that there have been a poor human rights record in Turkey and er, Erdogan is going in the wrong direction. Is this being indulged by certain parties, uh, perhaps even within NATO, because Turkey is an ally in the war? Well, it's kind of complicated in a way, and it, this links in with, with what has been said there previously. You've been talking there essentially about its relationship with Europe, the European Union. Uh, as you were talking about that, I was thinking, like, you know, of more concern to me is its relationship with Russia at the moment. And that hasn't been too healthy. We all know where that led to recently with the, the Turks quickly, you know, rather uh, r- rapidly getting bellicose and shooting down uh, a Russian Air Force jet, which confounded members of NATO. Uh, they thought, what what are they doing here? Like, and what know? were they doing? Well, they were they were flexing their biceps, so to speak, and saying, you know, don't you know, the Russians had been buzzing around their territory, and they knew what they were doing. They were they were pressing their buttons a little bit. They wanted to see what their defenses were like. But sorry, and the, what's the traditional relationship between Turkey and Russia? Have they been allies or edgy to say the least? Right. Uh, and I mean, this is one of the reasons that the US have been so keen to see. Turkey, uh, very much part of the the Western bulwark, if you like, and to help contain Russia. Uh, so, and I can, and, and from a geopolitical point of view, I can see the U.S.'s logic. But to go back to Gavin's point, yeah, because the U.S. think it's a good idea for them to come into the EU, and, and there are lots of very good aspects to it, uh, and the idea being that they would be a modernizing, the EU would be a modernizing influence. At the moment, with the current regime, and bearing in mind Graham's points about the, the deterioration of the rule of law, I think it would have a very negative effect on the European Union. Uh, the other point that needs to be looked at, you were talking about uh, European support for Turkey because it's an ally. Well, that needs further analysis. What kind of an ally have they been? They've been walking both sides of the street with regards to the development of IS for their own uh, more localised geopolitical reasons. They uh, have had a very hard-nosed reaction to the Kurds, to the PKK, which is why we sometimes forget some of the terrorism that the Actually, Turks just for listeners, Sorry. will you talk a bit about the Kurds and their location and their role. Well, <laughs> Sorry, but the, yeah, the elevator uh, pitch on the Kurds. Well, let me. I'm going to be really. I'm going to be really simplistic about the Kurds. You've got this people, this nation, if you like, without a physical nation. So I suppose they're they're a little bit similar to the Palestinians. Although the Palestinians are a bit of a step ahead of them, they have actual um, uh, territory now that they control and that the international community recognises. The Kurds, and I sympathise hugely with them, the Kurds don't have any of that. Whatever they have in terms of physical territory, they've fought for and they hold in a very tenuous way. They're the only force on the ground that have taken the fight to IS. Uh, it's They're beating them. They're beating well, well, them. Yeah, but they, they, they don't have the, um, the material and uh, necessary um, capability to, to actually com- comprehensively beat them. But they're the, they're the ones who actually gave them a bloody nose. And when we hear people, I don't, I don't want to go off on a tangent about this, but when we hear people in this part of the world, you know, in, in the comfort of their living room, giving out about uh, use of air power, for example, because they think it's indiscriminate. It was the use of air power coupled with the Kurds on the ground that stopped IS in its tracks on a number of occasions and uh, you know, made it a game changer. It, the Kurds would be the nucleus of any sort of localised force if they ever do get around to developing one. And that's what it should be. It should be a localised force. But to go back to your point, so there you have the Kurds doing something in the interests of the Western world. And you have the Turks completely undermining them 
as they did because they they had their own localised interests. They didn't want the Kurds getting any of their land. And this is the problem. The, the Kurdish homeland uh, isn't anyone. It's not, they want a bit of here and a bit of there. And why is America putting up with that? Well, why are I, we putting up with that? Well, I don't think I think the US have been trying to quietly uh, bring the elements together because they, and you saw a little bit more movement of Turkey uh, becoming more supportive of things. Well, a big step in the right direction was their border was porous. People were pouring across it to uh, go to IS, to go to Islam, well, to take part in a whole lot of different activities, but particularly people who were sympathetic to IS, coming from the West, coming from Europe, uh, French uh, people of Islamic origin coming from France and the UK, for example, tended to be crossing that border, and they were doing so with Turkish uh, state acquiescence. And you had the Turkish um, uh, military and intelligence services at, at certain points either at best turning a blind eye <coughs> to some of, uh, in the early days, uh, movements of Islamic State personnel. You could argue that they thought, well, this is going to uh, you know, maybe hasten the end of hostilities in Syria. This is a, a while back. But that hasn't been the case now. And the issue is, tr- from the US's point of view and, and the EU's point of view, getting Turkey kind of back on side. But... In the current state of things, I think we're a long way from that. Yeah, actually, the, we'll talk more after the break about the, the military side of this. But I was looking at um, defence spending amongst NATO members as a percentage of GDP. And in order, they are the so the, so the biggest is the United Kingdom. Then Greece, amazingly, is still mm. spending a huge amount on defence. Estonia, France and then Turkey. It's a massive spender. And there are half a million uh, people in the army. Um, look, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back we'll be talking to Finnegale MEP for Dublin Brian Hayes Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108 And welcome back to Talking Point this morning. We're bringing you live coverage and analysis of last night's attempted coup in Turkey. In studio, Graeme Finley's a lecturer in UCD's Department of Politics and International Relations. Declan Powers is a security analyst. And Gavin Barrett, also from UCD, is professor with their Sutherland Law School. You can text us on 53106 for 30 cent and tweet us at Talking Point NT. Just to bring you up to date with events, yesterday sections of the Turkish military attempted to take over governance of the country. They put tanks on the streets of Istanbul, blocking key bridges and access to the airport. Jets were seen flying low over Ankara and tanks opened fire near the state parliament. The state television broadcaster TRT was taken over and forced to broadcast a statement claiming Turkish armed forces had completely taken over the administration of the country to reinstate constitutional order, human rights and freedoms because the rule of law and general security had been damaged. Within hours, President Erdogan had conducted an extraordinary interview on Turkish commercial TV urging the people to take to the streets to resist the coup, which they did. Crowds of people climbed over tanks in resistance, tackling the soldiers. Access to Facebook, Twitter and YouTube was restricted. And this morning, President Erdogan has insisted he retains command of the country and his government remains in power. The head of the armed forces, General Hulusi Akar, who was apparently taken hostage, has been freed. And President Erdogan says backers of the attempted coup will pay a heavy price for their treason. The state news agency is claiming that 90 people have been killed and more than 1,500 members of the armed forces have been arrested. 
MPs are currently in an extraordinary meeting called by Prime Minister Benali Yildirim in the Parliament and the Parliament buildings have suffered severe damage from explosions and gunfire and a pro-coup military faction is still insisting it will continue its fight. So now on the line is Brian Hayes, the Fine Gael MEP for Dublin. Uh, Brian, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Charlie Flanagan, was actually due to fly to Istanbul today from Ulaanbaatar, where he is at the moment, but has had to cancel that trip. What's been the reaction overnight from the European Union? Well, one shock, I suppose. Um, military coups in Turkey are something of the past. I don't think people expected this. Um, I know at the time that um, Donald Tusk and um, Jean-Claude Juncker were at an international conference and they responded by saying that democracy is the way forward in Turkey. Um, so I think it's one of shock. I think the other issue is, while I speak to a lot of people in the European Parliament about Turkey, um, there is a general concern about what has happened in recent years. This was a very successful economy for about a 10-year period. It really had transformed the entire economy, became a major player economically. In recent years, it's become a more difficult situation. But it is still a key partner of the European Union. Why? Because of the migration problem uh, and a a solution that has been of sorts that has been negotiated between the EU and Turkey in terms of trying to resolve the problem, not just in terms of the migration issue, uh, but also trying to deal with the issues around Syria, uh, Lebanon and Kurdistan, where they have an, an out, a long-standing disagreement. I understand that close to 3 million Syrians are, are in Turkey right now, and the deal that was done between the EU and Turkey is, of course, crucial in trying stem the flow of migrants into Europe and deal with this issue in a safer way and it involves substantial funds into Turkey over a period of time and it also involves as you know, the retention of a visa for travel visa for, for people from Turkey to, to visit the European Union. Now there's a, a long-standing issue around Turkey's potential membership of the European Union. I had to laugh when I watched the British debate in the last number of weeks as if Turkey tomorrow would ever become a member of the European Union. We have opened up discussions and talks that's gone on for at least 15 years, uh, but there isn't a chance in hell, quite frankly, that Turkey will be a member of the European Union within you know, a 20, 30, 40 year period, I would have thought. You can never say never, but at the same time, I think the underlying issues and concerns that people have in human rights and fundamental freedoms are, are still there. And I think there's, when I speak to people in the European Parliament about this, there is, I think, a growing majority of people who believe um, that the idea that Turkey could join the European Union any day soon is really no but, but is that solely due to the concern about human rights? Or is it, as Gavin Barrett was saying earlier, that it might destabilise power structures within the European Union? Because with their population of 80 million, which is currently outstripping Germany, whose population is falling, you know, they would get a lot of power and there are some people that just don't want them to have that. I think there's not just some people who don't want them to have that, there's a lot of people. This is a hugely complicated issue, not just because of the size of the population and the relative economic and military strength of the country, which has become more dominant in recent years, but it's a key player really between that whole Middle East region and Europe and how exactly that influence will play out. And I think, you know, one of the tasks in any accession talks uh, when you become a member of the European Union is this absolute commitment to fundamental um, values and human rights, which have to be the heart of those negotiations. And I know while they, some of the chapters are still under negotiation, I mean, there is a, a, a very strong growing opposition to this idea that Turkey could join the European Union. 
I think the events of the, the last 24 hours, 48 hours or so, won't have helped that in, in any way, obviously. Uh, and I think while people are not hugely enamoured by the, the prospect of President Erdogan uh, and his party, at the end of the day, it is a democratically elected government. In the most recent form, we got only close to 50% of the vote. Um, and I know there is a view that it is moving in more in the Islamist direction, and there has always been this constant struggle between the military and the politicians of the degree of secularization that can occur. And of course, as we know, Turkey is a huge player within NATO, and of course that's a concern uh, for the NATO powers. But the idea, just because uh, we did this deal with Turkey as a means of trying to stem the, the flow of refugees into Europe, the idea that automatically brings with it you know, some speeded up version of uh, EU membership for Turkey, I think it's not. Okay, well, look, Brian Hayes, Fine Gael MEP for Dublin. Thanks a million for joining us this morning with that. Um, Graeme Finley, you wanted to make a point about the reaction of America overnight. Or just about anybody. I was really struck at about 11.30 last night, our time, how weak the comment from um, Turkey's um, and Erdogan's erstwhile allies in the West was. So John Kerry said, well, I've been in a meeting with Sergei Lavrov all day. I'm really not up to speed on what's going on. <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement of Erdogan's return to power. So, and the same thing... So I mean, what does that tell you? It tells us that they were waiting to see how this was going to go. Uh, and, you know, NATO has been perfectly comfortable with Turkish coups in the past. As we've all said, they've had three and lots of other... It's suggested that they might might try one. Um, and in Greece. There was a there was a coup in Greece as well with another good NATO member. So I think it tells you that the Obama administration was uh, waiting to react. Now, eventually they came out and President Obama himself, and it's also interesting that this all happened on Twitter. You know, so President Obama endorsed um, uh, maintenance maintenance of democracy in Turkey via Twitter, saying that what that was the only way forward. <clears throat> well, it, it's the fastest way of getting things out there, mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, but it it also, I mean, I think they've got a certain amount of uh, regret that they were forced or at least acquiesced with the coup in Egypt, which has some similarities, but of course is a very different context. Uh, so, but it also, I was struck by how Hillary Clinton. Um, got out uh, an, an, again a, uh, a, an endorsement of the maintenance of democracy in Turkey uh, fairly quickly after or around the time of Obama's. Donald Trump has been completely silent, and I think partly this is because this is too <laughs> complex an issue <laughs> for his campaign. I mean, I, 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 this is just, I think, a fact. It's not a, yeah. having a go at Donald he, Trump. He it's too, com- it's too complex power. an issue for um, anybody who's not in power but also for someone with no foreign policy experience. And, uh, you know, and they've got a tricky situation. I mean, Erdogan is a key ally in the region like Egypt. And um, because uh, Turkey has, until the attack on the peace flotilla, had quite good relationships with Israel, the Turkish-Israeli alliance, and then you couple it with a sort of um, Egypt uh, as, as another key ally, was the bulwark of, of American power projection in the Middle East um, against Iran. And actually on that, a text from Tony in County Loud that seems the inclusion of Turkey in the EU is another thing the US would like to lumber us with. How many of its citizens would, give the U- would the US give an entry visa to, I wonder? But it's fine to have them run free 
uh, to have them free to run all over Europe. It's not enough that they in the UN expect Europe to deal with the entire refugee crisis alone that their foreign policy has caused. Another text just said Erdogan is supported by Islamists and the uneducated outside of the cities. Nearly all educated people despise them. New laws will go through in a few weeks which will remove whatever power was left in the secular army allowing this Islamist dictator to target minorities and William and women. But William says, well done Sarah Kerry on knowledge of Turkish affairs. Well, it's really my panel who has the knowledge. But thank you very much, William. And Mary says, Sarah, what does this mean for their neighbours? On that, Gavin Barrett, just want to go to a point that Brian Hayes made about, well, you know, we can't have Turkey in the European Union because they just have a terrible human rights record and this kind of stuff is really important to us as members of the European Union. But... Is the European Union turning a blind eye, perhaps, to dodgy human rights practices within other member states? Graeme, I think you were mentioning Hungary earlier in the break. Well, it's it's certainly true that the European Union has its hands full at the moment uh, with some of the states um, that joined the European Union um, in the in the more recent enlargements from 2004 onwards. Um, Hungary stands out there um, uh, in that regard at the moment. They've they've a rather you know perfectly democratically elected uh, government there, uh, but 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 one that you know doesn't have an appropriate attitude. To to the judiciary. Uh, in order to have a democracy in a country, it's far more than just having elections. You have to have respect for human rights. You have to have respect for, you know, the division of powers between the judiciary on one hand and, uh, you know, the legislature. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that we're not seeing in um, uh, in, 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 in Turkey um, at, at the moment. Like um, um, Erdogan's um, uh, attitude to, to power is a little bit rem- reminds one of, of, of Putin in, in, in Russia. Again, Putin is elected, but you don't really have a free press in Russia and you don't have it. So unfortunately, the Turks are left in a situation, you know, um, uh, where if where they can have their their government secular uh, but authoritarian, or democratic but Islamist um, at, at the moment, which is not a very comfortable. Which would to you have. prefer? Well, I think uh, you know, and and this for me is a very interesting thing that what we're seeing is that the opposition to this coup is not just coming from Erdogan supporters. Of course, they're out, you know, protesting against it. They don't want it to happen. But I think even the, the those who would support a secular Turkey as well are opposed to this coup because the feeling is, I think, previous coups would have had, you know, that the quiet ascent, if you like, of, of, of um, secular liberals in, in Turkey. But I have the feeling at this stage that as opposed as they are to Erdogan um, at, uh, at, at present, um, that I think most people, or at least a sizable number of, of secular Turks, are also in favour of, of, of not having a change of government by coup. And to that extent, I think this actually might mark a kind of progress in Turkish um, uh, politics that um, it's now seen uh, that um, uh, progress by coup is no longer acceptable in Turkey. And he says, crudely speaking, European citizens citizens generally don't give a rat's ass about human rights in Turkey. We just don't want Turkey in the EU. It's not a European country. It's a Eurasian country. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to be good partners, neighbours or allies. Uh, Declan Parr, I'll give you the last word. Uh, Gavin summed it up neatly there. Is it what secular and authoritarian, but democratic and Islamist? Briefly, which would you prefer in Turkey? I'd prefer a stable option that we can work with and because we like it or lump it it's a very important buffer between us and the Middle East it's resumed its relations with Israel uh, it is a very uh, key country at the moment what we need to see is stability uh, and uh, you know, a, a level playing pitch there of some sort Declan Power Graeme Finley Gavin Barrett many thanks for joining me this morning um, now next week we'll be broadcasting live from the Galway Arts Festival and if you're in Galway we'd love you to come and join us check out newstalk.com forward slash talking point for tickets more updates on the situation in Turkey throughout the day Aoife Breen produced Marion Kennedy was on sound Bobby Kerr is up next and thank you for listening Thanks for listening to this Newstalk 106 to 108 podcast To download other programmes or for more information go to newstalk.ie